Welcome. You're listening to the podcast of First Church in Woodland, California, Pastor Timothy Wisnett. We're so glad you could join us. And we pray that this message you're listening to today is a blessing to your day. And I want to invite you also to visit us online at firstchurch.app to get connected with us and learn about our service and upcoming events. And uh, we hope that we can connect with you and see you soon. That Amen. Praise God. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning at verse 27. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Amen. Look at somebody and say, he's going to appear again. How many believe Jesus is coming back? I still believe in the catching away of the bride of Christ. I still believe in the rapture of the church. You still believe one day a trumpet's going to sound? It's going to wake up the dead and their graves are going to come up. Amen. And we that are alive and remain, we're going to meet them in the air. Amen. I, I, I want to preach to you. It may take just a, a few minutes to make this make sense. But I want to preach to you from this thought. Reverse the curse. Amen. Look at somebody and tell them, reverse the curse. Amen. And let's pray together right now. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the liberty that we feel in this place. Thank you for your presence and your great anointing. I pray that you would anoint me to not only preach your word, but anoint it, Lord, that it would find root in somebody's life. Lord, that it would challenge us and change us in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord another hand clap of praise, if you would. Hallelujah, because he is so worthy. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. Tell two or three people around you, reverse the curse, and you can be seated. Amen. Praise God. Amen. I want to say, too, thank you to Brother Garza last Sunday for stepping in. Didn't he preach a phenomenal message on Sunday? Amen. I, I woke up. Uh, last Sunday and was not not feeling the greatest and then as it went on the day went on it got worse and then around 10 or 11 o'clock I took some it dawned on me we'll try some allergy medicine and I did and and got a whole lot better after that amen and I thank you for your prayers amen what a tremendous message we heard amen somebody shout reverse the curse you know tragedy can happen in an instant Amen. Don't, don't let what I'm about to say uh, discourage the, the faith and the energy and excitement that we feel here because I want to just use this as a launching point. But tragedy can happen in a moment. Most of us have been unfortunate enough to receive a phone call that changed everything in an instant. Maybe it wasn't something that was necessarily life or death, but maybe it was something that, that stopped as if it were the world from spinning in that moment. A lot of you are thinking about a loved one, a diagnosis. Maybe you're thinking about September the 11th when that burned so vividly in your mind in that instant and in that moment. One moment in time can make a difference between life and death, altering the trajectory of, of human existence for all time. And sometimes throughout eternity, such is the power of an event or decision 
that is made in a single crucial moment. It was somewhere over 37 plus years ago on January the 28th, 1986. Some of you can remember this date that school children all around North America would sit and watch a crucial moment unfold before their eyes as the Challenger space shuttle lifted off, carrying for the first time a civilian school teacher who planned to make history by teaching her lessons from space. I vividly remember sitting in school that day watching this unfold. Krista McAuliffe had beat out 11,000 other candidates in a nationwide competition to become the first civilian in space with full support of her husband, her nine-year-old son, Scott, and their six-year-old daughter, Caroline. She carried with her her school flag, amen, uh, from Concord High School in Concord, New Hampshire, where the entire student body sat and watched the television monitor as these events were unfolding. But suddenly, in a split second of time, what Christina had promised would be the, quote, ultimate field trip of all time ended in disaster. The last words that were radioed on that freezing January morning, uh, some 30-something years ago, were from the shuttle commander, Dick Scobie, and he quote, said these words, Roger, go with throttle up. Only 74 seconds into the mission. The watching world would know that something had gone terribly wrong. When a huge explosion happened and an awful plume of smoke racked the sky above them. It seemed an eternity until the voice of mission control uttered the fateful words, obviously a major malfunction. Families were quickly hustled away. From the launch site, and horrified teachers tried to calm tens of thousands of students across America. Steve McAuliffe with Scott and Caroline sat in Christina's dorm room at NASA. Her sneakers were still on the floor. This is not how it's supposed to be, her husband said. Mission Control rapidly tried to spin a man and they tried to uh, uh, get ahead of the narrative rather than delivering the state of the union that night as scheduled president reagan made a brief speech and it went like this we'll continue our quest in space he promised the traumatized americans for whom the world the shut the shuttle had planted an image in their mind that they could never unsee. Something that had seemed so mundane and so routine had went so horribly wrong. There will be more teachers, more shuttle flights, more shuttle crews, more volunteers, more civilians, and even more teachers in space, said President Reagan. But there would not be any shuttle flights for at least three years. There, were, there would be no teacher in space. And for those left on the ground, for the families of the seven adventurers who died, there would be years of bitterness, grief, and pain, and anger. Finally, lives would begin to heal one moment at a time. In one instant, things went horribly and irreparably wrong. They searched for the shuttle debris. Now, now hold, hold with me for just a minute. I'm going somewhere with this. They searched for the debris of that shuttle for over seven months. It took 31 ships, 52 aircraft, and over 6,000 workers. 
it would find Christina McAuliffe's lessons plans for teaching in space as they were floating in the Atlantic Ocean and would discover that some of the astronauts had actually been alive during the three to four minute fall back to the sea. Shortly after the last funerals were held, a commission by Secretary of State William Roger revealed the conclusions of its investigation. The explosion of a $1.2 billion spacecraft was due to a faulty O-ring seal on the solid rocket fuel booster. A $900 synthetic rubber band that engineers had warned it would become vulnerable of temperatures below 51 degrees. The Challenger launch was canceled three times. And when it finally took off, its fateful and final mission launched in 36 degree weather. The Rogers Commission found that both the company that made the O-rings and NASA itself was guilty of allowing an avoidable accident to occur. It shouldn't have happened, said Christina's mother, Grace Corrigan. They were told not to launch, and they decided 24 other shuttle flights went off okay. And because 24 other flights went off okay, they began to become complacent. One crucial decision gone horribly and irreparably wrong. Now think back with me for just a moment, if you would, to the greatest disaster known to man. Think back with me going back thousands of years when mankind would endure its most horrific hour, when Adam and Eve would fall in the Garden of Eden, effectively dragging all of their descendants into the trap of sin and bringing themselves under the dominion of sin for all that mankind would exist on this earth until Christ. A tragic transgression forever frozen in that split-second decision of failure when the guillotine of guilt fell upon humanity and God's highest creation was severed from their highest destiny. The Bible tells us that God only gave one commandment to Adam and Eve in the garden, yet they still disobeyed God by eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that grew in the garden. Genesis chapter 2 and verses 16 through 17 says, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. Genesis 3 and 6 says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and, all, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. This is such a familiar story to us. As a matter of fact, it's at the foundation of humanity. I still believe that God created man. As a matter of fact, I believe if you're a believer, you're supposed to believe that God created man. We're not some cosmic accident. We are not some genetic, genetic mutation that happened billions of years ago, but we were divinely placed here by the hand of God. In that awful instant, they knew that they were naked before God and before each other. Even their own bodies would now be a hindrance to them in their relationship with the holy God. The knowledge that had looked so desirable only a moment 
before suddenly lost all its attractiveness as the full weight of moral responsibility now fell on the frail shoulders of fallen humanity. Now everything that seemed fun in the instant, amen, all of a sudden became an eternal regret. How many of you can say there have been things in my life I thought were going to be fun and I thought it was what I wanted until I actually did it? And then it blew up in my face as if it were. The Bible doesn't tell us directly, amen, what kind of tree our parents ate from when they disobeyed God. But it does give us a strong hint. Amen. I, I was studying this sometime uh, back some few months ago. And we don't know specifically what that tree is. And let me just say this. Whatever your opinion of whatever the fruit is, amen, doesn't have any bearing on our salvation, amen, because the Bible doesn't expressly say what that, uh, that tree was. I do know it wasn't an apple tree. I know there's a, a big conspiracy going on right now that apple products is a symbol of the, uh, you know, that they ate from the apple that that damned humanity. It wasn't an apple. We know that much. We don't know exactly what it was, but as I was studying this some time ago, amen, I began to ask myself this question. When Adam and Eve immediately grasped in desperation for a covering for their nakedness, what was it that their hands fell upon? And all of a sudden, I began to see this story a little different because when they realized their nakedness in that instant, they grabbed for the leaves of the thing that was closest to them, quite possibly the very thing that they had partaken of. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7 says, And the eyes of them were both open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. Now let me just pause and say this. This does not mean that figs are evil. And we don't know that it was a fig tree but it seems to be somewhat of a hint that they were at least close enough to a fig tree. In that moment, they realized they were naked and that God came looking for them in that instant. They grabbed the thing that was closest to them and they tried to make clothing out of it. But the answer will never be found, amen, in, in our goodness to why they did what they did. Man was attempting to cover his fallen nature of the tree of knowledge with his own thinking on how to achieve righteousness before God and how to conquer evil that is now throbbing within their pulsating heart. And mankind has been trying in vain ever since then to sow our fig leaves to cover up our sin. We've done everything in our power with thousands of religions, with thousands of self-help projects and millions of righteous deeds, but the answer is never going to be found in the garments of goodness that we try to tailor for ourselves. Our clothes, the clothing, amen, that we can come up with will always pale in comparison for the Bible says that, that our righteousness is as filthy rags before the Lord. In actual fact, it's the very desire of jealousy, amen, to guard our right to choose in matters of good and evil that has been our undoing, amen. Mankind, if you would, was failed by a fig tree. Mankind was failed by their desire and their pursuit to think that they could do what they wanted to do and they would be, there would be no repercussions, amen. Whether it was a fig tree or not, 
we don't know for 100% certainty, amen, but it is well documented in the ancient Jewish literature that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, according to some of the ancient Jewish scholars, they believe it was a fig tree. For example, the Midrash uh, refers to it several times, and it says in the Rabbinith Rabbiah, in chapters 15 and 7, it says the fig leaf which brought remorse into the world. The fig leaf which brought sin into the world. But wait, there, there is a second fig tree in this story. Amen. This story doesn't end with the first fig tree, if you would, but Mark chapter 11 begins to tell us about another fig tree. Both Matthew and Mark record a strange event that happens in their gospel that has puzzled scholars for hundreds of years. In Mark chapter 11 and beginning at verse 13, and seeing a fig tree far off having leaves, Jesus came, if happily he might find anything thereon, and where he came to it, and he found nothing but leaves. I want you to look at this. He found nothing but leaves, for the time of figs was not yet. And Jesus answered and said unto it, No man eat the fruit of thee hereafter. And in the morning they passed by, and they saw the fig tree dried up from the roots. And Peter, calling to remembrance, saith unto him, Master, behold the fig tree which thou cursest is withered away. You can also read this same story in Matthew 21 in verses 18 through 20. The dilemma that scholars found themselves in was quite simple. Jesus cannot be teaching a lesson about the consequence of unfruitfulness here as it is assumed because it would be clearly unreasonable to expect figs from a tree that is not yet in fruit bearing season. Amen. It would be unthinkable for Jesus to not know that it was not time for figs. As a matter of fact, Matthew and Mark clearly say that the time of figs was not yet. Amen. There is no seemingly sensible explanation for his curse on an innocent barren fig tree. But could it be that there's something more momentous that is happening in this mysterious passage than what seems to be laying on the surface? That would explain Jesus' somewhat uh, unjustified curse of that fig tree. Amen. Could it be that Jesus was making an eternal statement as he walks into Jerusalem only four days before his crucifixion? Might God, amen, be looking back at another fateful day in history as he now stands in the flesh before a tree just like the one that stood in the garden that doomed humanity? Could it just happen to be that Jesus was not meandering off the road just to curse the tree, but could it be four days before his crucifixion, he looks at a tree and in his eternal mind goes back to the garden to where there was perhaps a fig tree that would cause man to go into sin. Amen. It could 
just be that because this would explain why Jesus did what he did. Amen. This would make sense if he is now bringing judgment on the same type of tree that Adam and Eve first ate of. The one that brought sin and death into humanity. And then Jesus curses the root of man's problem, leaving it to wither and die. For when the God-man speaks, the curse is then cursed. Amen. The first Adam ate of the fig tree and brought death. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, amen, he cursed the fig tree and he brought life. Amen. That's where I want to bring you to this morning in this message. It's not what the first Adam undid, or what he did in the garden by cursing man to forever live with the stain of sin upon our life and in our fallen nature. The second Adam, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. Amen. Adam was known as the first son of God. Amen. But Jesus was known as the son of God or the second son. Amen. Could it just possibly be that Jesus looked at that fig tree and said, once and for all, I'm going to deal with the issue of sin. The very thing that caused man to fall, I'm going to deal with it symbolically right now. The disciples never got the revelation. Jesus didn't explain himself to the people that saw it. They marveled and said, look, it is withered and dead at the roots. And Jesus, in other words, is saying, what I'm about to do in four days, I'm going to curse the very root of sin. I'm going to curse the very effect of sin. The first Adam, the first Adam ate the fruit and brought death. But the second Adam, Jesus Christ, could not find any figs. The Bible said on that tree to eat. Adam found figs in the garden, but Jesus didn't find any figs on the tree. You want to know why the first Adam sinned, but the second Adam did not sin. The first Adam found the fruit. Jesus saw it and said, I don't want anything to do with it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Adam and Eve brought a curse on mankind through the fig tree, but Jesus reversed the curse by that same tree and by that same fruit. I want you to know it's the grace of Almighty God and it's the mercy of Jesus Christ that looked at the issue that brought sin in the world and said, I'll curse it. Amen. Now, I, I know I, this thing started a little slow. I had to dive a little deep for a Sunday morning. I know this is in our midweek Bible class. Amen. But I, I want you to take you a little deeper in the word. Hebrews 4 and 15. The apostle Paul writes and says, For we have not an high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was, listen to this, in all points tempted like as are we but read those last three words aloud yet without sin in other words he didn't eat the fruit from that tree in other words what the first Adam did when he sinned the second Adam was tempted just like the first Adam was the second Adam had the fruit brought in front of him just like the first Adam did but the second Adam did it without sin 
1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 45 and verse 47 says, and so it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. And the last Adam made a quickening spirit. Verse 47, the first man is of the earth, earthly. The second man is the Lord from heaven. Hallelujah. The first Adam brought the curse, but the second Adam brought the reverse. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here. The first Adam brought the curse, but the second Adam brought the reverse. The first Adam brought death, but the second Adam brought life. Hallelujah. My Lord, I feel like shouting here on a Sunday morning. I recall from 29 years ago, amen, a message that Elder Johnny James preached, a message entitled Second Beats First. I let Brother Roberto listen to this on a flight over Columbia. I said, you gotta hear this. And let me quote from you. I wish I came up with this, but I didn't. I gotta read this excerpt, amen, like only Johnny James could do. He said, the first Adam cursed us, but the second Adam blessed us. The first Adam hurt us, but the second Adam healed us. The first Adam put us out. The second Adam brought us in. The first Adam put us down, but the second Adam lifted us up. The first Adam put us on the road to hell. The second Adam put us on the road to heaven. The first Adam ate off a tree. The second Adam died on a tree. The second Adam brought the second birth so that we can avoid the second death for the second coming. My God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. I don't know about you, but I'm glad. I'm so thankful for the second Adam. I'm so glad he looked at the fig tree and he cursed it and said, no man shall eat thereof. In other words, if you're willing to follow the second Adam, there's a way to find life and life more abundantly. Look at somebody and say he's reversing the curse. Come on, tell him he's reversing the curse. When Jesus stood before that fig tree, it was more than some abstract story. I, I had wondered until some months ago when I was studying this out, I had wondered. I, I, oftentimes, and I've preached messages about the fig tree, and I'll continue to preach them uh, because they're good, amen, uh, about cursing distractions and all of this kind of stuff. But it wasn't until, amen, Elder Henderson, that I began to read in those ancient Hebrew writings as early as a thousand years before Christ, amen, that the rabbis believed that it was a fig tree that Adam and Eve ate from. Now, it doesn't mean that figs are cursed. Bless God, I got a big old fig tree in my backyard, and I eat off that sucker all the time. Amen. But it, that, that they believed this was po possibly the fruit that they ate of because as soon, the Bible says, as soon as they ate it, they knew they were naked. And as soon as they ate it, the voice of God came walking. Isn't that like sin? That as soon as you participate in it, as soon as you surrender to that temptation, amen, you feel that 
that quickening conviction of the Holy Ghost. Quit getting angry and upset with God because you feel convicted when you do something wrong. You ought to be thankful that God loves us enough that we can feel his displeasure, that we can feel when we've grieved the Holy Ghost. But we can't cover it with our own righteousness. It don't work. We need his righteousness. The second Adam brought us, let me say this again, the second Adam brought us the second birth so we could avoid the second death and be ready for his second coming. John chapter 3 verses 4 through 5 talks about the second birth. Everybody here has been born once. Raise your hand if you've been born once. If you didn't raise your hand, amen, then I don't, I don't know why you're here, amen, because <laughs> we all, we all been born Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, or surely, surely, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That's the second birth. Okay, well, what's the second death? Revelations 21 and 8 says, But the fearful and unbelieving and the abominable and the murderers and the whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Oh hallelujah. Oh hallelujah. You really only got to die once. And that's unto sin through repentance. When you die unto sin, to, you say, Pastor, does that mean that I'm never going to die? That's exactly what that means. You will never die. Your body will, but you are not your body. Your body is a container to which holds who you are. Science can never advance beyond that. The, through the, they're, they're trying through cloning, and genetic DNA printing and all of these things. And if you're in the medical field, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's getting scary with the things they're doing through stem cell therapies. And, 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 and I, I read recently of a multi-billionaire who is trying to, well, they all really are, but this one in particular, uh, Sister Dawn is in the medical field and she probably knows some of what I'm talking about. And uh, she knows enough to know that I'm, I'm dumb. Amen. She knows I'm not hitting everything on all cylinders. But I read the, the article, this billionaire uh, that, that is taking daily stem cell treatments. And they, they, they take the blood from his teenage son once a week. And they extract all the good cells. And they inject those young cells. And every day they do this. And this billionaire is projecting that he will be able to live a life of quality until about 120 years of age. but you're never going to overcome this body dying. But this body isn't what it is. This body is just the container. This body is temporal. This body is only here for a moment and then it's gone. What is eternal is what is on the inside. Hebrews 9 and 28, we've read of the second birth, the second death, but Hebrews 9 and 28 says, so Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and to them that look for him shall he appear the... 
second time without sin unto salvation. We've got the second birth, the second death, and we've got the second coming. In cursing the fig tree that it withered and died, Jesus was illustrating his victory over all the factors in the Garden of Eden around which the first Adam failed. I want to encourage somebody here this morning, you don't have to fail, you don't have to fall, you don't have to have a second death amen if you've never received the Holy Ghost or you're just struggling in your walk with God and your flesh is telling you it's inevitable and hell is telling you it's inevitable you need to look back at hell and say no Jesus cursed the fig tree once and for all there's hope for you there's hope for me you are an overcomer oh I feel the Holy Ghost right now no man would ever be able to eat from the cursed fig tree again. And after Calvary, no man would ever have to rely on his own insignificant power to know good and evil ever again. Once Jesus cursed the fig tree, once he gave his life on Calvary's tree, he made it so that we don't have to sow leaves together to try and cover our sin. That we don't have to do animal sacrifices to try and cover our sin but he said I'll take your sins I'll nail them to my tree I'll take your sins I'll remove them as far as the east is from the west in effect what Jesus was saying was I'm about to reverse the curse that has bound my creation I'm about to flip the script I'm about to turn the tables hell what you meant for evil God's gonna work it out for his good somebody ought to shout about that this morning somebody ought to get excited about that you have a second chance you have a second chance no matter what your life has been like up to this point you have a chance to reverse the curse of sin that you have carried ever since you came into this world. That's why the nature, the nature of man is sin. The nature of man is not God. The nature of man is sin. That's why it's cute as them little babies are. They're liars. Don't shout me down when I'm telling the truth. They are liars. They're natural born liars. And every parent's going, yeah, that's about right. Yeah, they're cute and they're cuddly. Yes, they're sweet, amen. And you love giving them kisses and sugars and cuddling and holding them and swaddle them and all that. And you look at them and you think they're perfect. And to you they are, amen. But the most natural thing they're gonna do besides breathe, eat, and sleep is gonna be to deceive and to lie and to be rebellious because in their nature since the fall of the first Adam was the nature of the curse of 
sin that came into their life. And we have been carrying that sin ever since we were born. Amen. If you were born once, you'll die twice. But if you are born twice, you will only die once. Let me say it again. If you were born once, you'll die twice. But if you were born twice, you'll die once. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost here right now. Jesus said, you're better off to have never been born than to have been born, but not be born again. I want to encourage somebody. This is the greatest life in the world, being born again, living in the reversal of the curse. That's why you must be born again. That's why you must be born again. Because only your second birth can cancel out your second funeral. You think your first funeral is sad? It only lasts about an hour. But your second funeral will last for eternity. Two dimensions to being born again. Water baptism puts you in Christ. And the Holy Ghost baptism puts Christ in you. And that's why you must be born again of the water and of the Spirit. And you may be saying, Pastor, I agree wholeheartedly with you. Nothing that you've said I disagree with. But what in the world does that got to do with the price of tea in China? I'll tell you what it's got to do with. Because when you leave this place today, you need to realize the vast majority of people that we're going to encounter are stitching together leaves from the tree that has cursed them. In other words, they're going to use sin to cover sin. It's our most natural instinct. Use sin to cover sin. So, Pastor, what do you mean? To use a lie to cover up their wrongdoing. It almost makes too much sense, doesn't it? Most people, when they're caught, they don't go, oh, you got me. Because I can do it. You ever found your kid? Ate some you know, the proverbial hand in the cookie jar? You ever seen them with Oreo cookies in the corner of their mouth? And black Oreo cookie in their teeth? And you told them, don't you eat them cookies. Those are, those are special. Those are treats. And they thought you were taking a nap or on a long phone call and you come in there. <laughs> I mean, what I'm talking about. When you look back at it, it's kind of funny and cute. But in the moment, it's infuriating because they violated a mandate. And they'll have that Oreo cookie in the corner of their mouth and in their teeth. They'll have it stuck to their little sticky paws. And you'll look right at them. You already know the answer. What do you ask them? 
I'm sure Marcel and Avery never did this. Well, you look at them and say, you say, did you eat that cookie? You know the answer to that. What are you doing? You're giving them an opportunity to come clean. But what do them little boogers do? They start sowing fig leaves. You know, as soon as they say, huh? They barely even talk. I want to tell you something about kids. They're smart. I promise you they know more words than you think. They may only say, dad, dad, mama, baba, all that kind of stuff. You say, did you do that? They understand English perfectly. You can say it in Spanish. You can say it in Chinese. You can say it in Swahili. It doesn't matter if they speak it or not. They're going to know what you're talking about. And they're, they're constantly going. Did you eat that cookie? Oh. And if you're a good parent, you interrogate them. You, you, let, you let them feel the heat of that moment. What's all over your face? What's on your hands? You see, it starts dawning on them. They're busted. I'm going to give you another chance. Did you eat that cookie? No. Why do they, why do, they do that? Because their Adamic nature all the way from the garden is stronger than the nature of God. And at, at little age, they're already putting up fig leaves to try to cover the sin they just did. Folks, this is why religion won't save people. This is why self-help groups aren't going to save people. This is why Woodland, California needs the gospel of the cursed fig tree. This is why this city needs the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because everywhere I look, I see fig trees almost stripped barren of their leaves with people trying to hide their shame and their nakedness. Would you stand with me this morning? God has not come to bring shame. He's come to bring hope. I don't know what you're struggling with this morning. I don't know necessarily who individually I might be preaching to that you're sitting there going, oh, that's me. Maybe you're taking this and you're just shoveling it over your shoulder for somebody behind you. But I've come to preach to you there's hope. Because God has reversed the curse through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Jesus. You don't have to try to hide that anymore. I'm going to tell you, the longer you try to hide it, the more you try to cover it up through your works, 
through your smile, through your hallelujah, through your Facebook post, the more you try to hide it through all of that, the worse it becomes. You got to get to the moment where you can stand before the Lord Jesus and say, God, I need you to reverse the curse in my life. Would you lift your hands where you are right now? I feel the sweet touch of Jesus Christ in this place. Hallelujah. 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 I told you earlier, I've told you the last few services God is bringing us to this point. God doesn't do anything by accident. God doesn't do anything by chance. But God does everything by design. Amen. I preached to you on Tuesday night about the Good Samaritan. I'm preaching to you today about God reversing the curse. Amen. Because Tuesday night and next Sunday in any service, we watch somebody come in. Amen. With fig leaves on. It's not for us to point out the fig leaves. It's for us to point them to Jesus who can reverse the curse. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, your co-worker needs to know they don't have to live with that curse on their life. Your neighbor needs to know they don't have to live hiding behind the insufficient fig leaves. That's all addictions are. It's fig leaves. That's all guilt and shame is. It's fig leaves. That's all that pain is in their life. It's fig leaves. Amen. But Jesus Christ has come to give life and that life more abundantly. That kid at your school. Amen. They need to know that Jesus has reversed the curse. That person you meet today in the restaurant, they're putting up nothing but a wall of fig leaves. You need to let them know there's a God that brings hope. There's a deliverer. There's a healer. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Is there anybody that would step out today and say, oh God, use me, Lord. Use me to help bring somebody. Use me, oh God, to help somebody know that that curse has been reversed in their life. Come on, I feel a harvest coming to First Church Woodland. Amen. But we need some people that are filled with a fresh fire, with a fresh anointing that says, God, use me, Lord, to help show them that the curse has been reversed. That addict doesn't have to stay an addict. Amen. That broken person doesn't have to stay broken by their shame and their sin and their guilt but they can be made whole by the blood of Jesus come on that's it reach up to heaven right now I want you to pray for yourself and pray for somebody right now in the name of Jesus yes 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 in the name of the Lord come on God wants to use you God wants to anoint you I don't know what shame you're dealing with. I don't know what haunting temptation that you're living with. I don't know the struggle that you're fighting with right now. But I'm telling you, Jesus has come to reverse the curse. Jesus has come to reverse the curse. And that thing that you thought would kill you. Oh no, God's going to turn it around. He's going to work it for your good. He's going to 
Thanks again for joining us for this podcast. It's such an honor that we could have you, and we pray you were blessed by the word today. We want to stay connected with you, and so give us a follow on our social media pages on Facebook or Instagram. You can find all of those on our website at firstchurch.app. You can also stay connected with us through that uh, website, and you can download it as an app on your phone from there. And so until the next time, we pray you're blessed. Have a great week in Jesus' name.